We are talking to the fifth generation owner of Omaha Steaks, uh, Todd Simon. Wow, I hate to say it. In the midst of this crisis we're living through, what a great time for Omaha Steaks. You were already on this, right? Flash frozen, safely delivered to your door. You get an amazing amount of food that you can stock up in your freezer. Well, that's right. I mean, we are experts in frozen food delivery, and we've been shipping great protein and meals and steaks, you know, directly to people's homes since the mid-50s. So we're already sort of set up and expert at it. So, you know, when people, you know, either stopped wanting to go to stores or when stores didn't have enough supply, uh, we were ready to, to step in and really help our customer family make sure that they were able to stock up and have what they needed during this unfortunate moment. And your quality is amazing. I just am amazed the amount you get for the price that you get, right? Because you actually have like stock up varieties now. Tell us about those. That's right. So if you go to our website now, we're focusing a lot on stock up packages because what we're finding is that what our customers want is they want a big box with a lot of portions so they can get that in their freezer and so that they can make sure that they're doing great meals at home, but they're not kind of creating monotony, right? They really want variety. My wife now is cooking something different every night, looking for different recipes. So we've got these pre-packed stock-up boxes that are ready to ship now. They're filled with a huge variety of steaks, of premium poultry and pork. We've got no-work family meals for your slow cooker, your oven. We've got skillet meals. We've got side dishes. And we've got artisan desserts. And one of the things, you know, we've heard is that, you know, don't forget the sweets, right? People want to have something sweet to end the meal. So great food, cooked easily. One less problem that really people have to deal with right now is they're thinking about so many things that could potentially overwhelm them. And Todd, can I just say, uh, during this time of crisis, the Stephanie Miller Show so appreciates our sponsors because everyone's having a tough time. And let me just say, my listeners get the need to support my sponsors. You've been so loyal to us and they've been so loyal to you. And now it's a win-win-win for everybody. So thank you so much. Go to OmahaStakes.com, type Stephanie in the box. And Todd, thanks so much for your time. Well, thank you so much and please stay safe. You too. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Standing up and speaking out, here's Hal Sparks. Well, it's hard to pick. Whoops. I'm hearing myself reading back. It's my fault. Don't worry. It's not It's not the fault. Oh, yes. Okay, good. It is coming from Chicago. There we go. <laughs> I thought it was me, and then I got all panicked, and I'm fine. Um, you know, there's very few things that uh, sum up um, these press briefings that the president has been having every day. And if you've been following along, I've been um, live um, streaming them on my YouTube channel and uh, real-time um I guess, uh, fact-checking slash mocking them. Uh, Both, I think, uh, the Lord's work currently, a necessary part of our daily endeavor while we're all locked down in this. And I don't know if there's... I I seek to find a better example, uh, you know, of, of precisely how crazy what the president has been saying in these is. And few, I think, qualify as much as um, this clip. Um, this is this is him addressing. Uh, <laughs> good morning, everybody in the chat room. This is him addressing um, antibiotics and their value against the coronavirus. Brilliant yeah. enemy. They develop drugs like the antibiotics. You see it. Antibiotics used to solve every problem. Now one of the biggest problems the world has is the germ has gotten so brilliant that the antibiotic can't keep up with it. And they're constantly trying to come up with a new. People go to a hospital and they catch 
they go for a heart operation, that's no problem, but they end up dying from, from problems. You know the problems I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, there's a whole genius to it. We're fighting, not only is it hidden, but it's very smart, okay? It's invisible and it's hidden, but it's, it's very smart. And you see that in a case like a Denver, but I, you know, I think we're doing well and, and they're on Denver. By the way, that was him addressing a question about an outbreak in um, elder care facilities. <laughs> and I, honest to God, um, I mean, there's so much to unpack there. Uh, the fact that he doesn't understand that uh, septicemia and the related bacterial infections that happen in hospitals are not viral, that antibiotics do not treat viruses that uh, he somehow thinks that by playing up the intellect of this uh, virus and making it seem like it's it's super genius versus stable genius, that somehow that's going to straighten everything, that that's going to make him look better in this in this fight. Now, I have been live streaming this uh, every day as it goes on, and they usually do it about two o'clock Pacific time. And uh, yesterday, because it was Good Friday, he did it earlier. Now, in that gathering, uh, he went on to talk about um, it's Good Friday, so everybody be nice. And that's what the meaning of Good Friday is, is sort of, I guess, being nicer than usual. Although it wasn't exactly the day that people were nicest to uh, Jesus, I suppose. Um, thank you, Natalie. Um, and I appreciate your support. Um, we are live streaming at infotainmentwars.com. And of course, uh, on, uh, if you're just listening in the radio world and you get outside the CPT realm of, uh, where the, the outside the broadcasting signal, you can actually go to WCPTA20.com and, uh, listen to it there along with all your other favorite, um, sexy liberals and the, uh, and, and our ancillary bodies. I don't know if I don't know if Tom Hartman likes to be referred to as a sexy liberal. He's got kind of a it's a different vibe. But anyways, so bef I was struck yesterday during the president's daily briefing about this um, that they did it earlier than usual. That they seemed caught off guard by a couple of the news stories, which if they had simply just had it at the normal time, he probably possibly could have been briefed on. Um, but the the most awkward part seemed to be his confusion about the meaning of Easter and and Good Friday and the difference. I, I just don't, I, I'm just saying he sounds like he skipped Sunday school, which would, you know, it would be almost forgivable in an adult who just is not inclined to be a churchgoer. But that's that's okay, I suppose. But the his ongoing claiming of Christianity as one of his uh, reinforcement walls for re for reelection and his clinging to the bosom of evangelical Christianity um, is particularly ironic in those moments when he seems to forget every possible detail about Christianity. But again, like I said, there's almost something to him not knowing this stuff because it happened when, you know, he 
some people just have a, a general thematic Christianity in their life. If they don't, if they're not regular churchgoers, if they didn't, you know, they haven't been to Sunday school or revisited the lessons since. But it turns out that just before the briefing yesterday, he sent out a message from the Oval Office. Um, thank you, Green Seeker. Um, uh, and so not knowing the details, I'll, I'll, I'll play part of it for, for you, and you'll see what I'm talking about um, in this regard. Um, this is particularly odd that he missed this, this part of it. This is him in the Oval Office um, with Bishop Harry Jackson. This is him. Christians from all around the world remember the suffering and death upon the cross of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. A uh, prepared statement. I don't know that uh, Trump regularly refers to or would refer to Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is straight up uh, as a uh, baptized Christian when I was 11 years old. This is the language that comes from going to church a lot. He's reading from a written statement that it's clear he has never seen before. Easter Sunday, we will celebrate his glorious resurrection. At this holy time, our nation is engaged in a battle like never before, the invisible enemy. Our brave doctors, nurses, and responders, first responders, responders of all. Yeah, lots of responders out there, kids. There's dozens of third responders. You are not forgotten. Fighting to save lives. Our workers are racing to deliver critical medical supplies. Our best scientists are working around the clock. Maybe don't speed through this whole thing. Maybe... Maybe develop life-saving therapeutics, and I think they're doing really well in doing so. Our people are making tremendous sacrifices to end this pandemic. Though we will not be able to gather together with one another as we normally would on Easter, we can yeah. now, I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say normally gathering together on Easter is not in the personal repertoire of Donald John Trump, nor at least until he ran for president. And I don't recall uh, the yearly church visit being a big part of this. I Yeah. Use the sacred time to focus on prayer, reflection, and growing in our personal relationship with God. So important. God so important. That's what it, that's that's how he's often referred. God Almighty to some or Almighty God, but God so important will work. I ask all Americans to pray that God will heal our nation, to bring comfort to those who are grieving, to give strength to the doctors, nurses, and healthcare workers, to restore health to the sick, and to renew the hope in every person who is suffering. By the way, I have no problem with this sentiment. Understand this. And I have no problem personally with a president addressing the nation with their own personal faith, any of that part. I just have a problem. Uh, thank you, DC2257 uh, um, in the chat room uh, for that super chat. Um, I do have a problem with someone reading this flatly off of a piece of paper, um, pretending to be pious on a day that's so important to Christians all over the country. Um, it just seems rude. Our nation will come through like never before. I thank the many families who have prayed for me and for my family. 
and your prayers are felt, and I am forever grateful. I'd like to thank our great vice president and... And what's his wife's name? Wonderful wife, who we all know very well, Karen. There you go. The incredible job they do and for their service, not only to the country. And drafting this statement. But for their service to God. Almost 3,000 years ago, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words, darkness covers the earth, but the Lord rises upon you and his glory appears over you. For the his glory appears over you. So most people, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, a giant uh, British taxi cab appeared upon the mountain and it was on fire. I think it's on fire. It's been a little while. Lord will be your everlasting light. As our nation battles the invisible enemy, we reaffirm that Americans believe in the power of prayer. We give thanks for the majesty of creation and for the gift of eternal life. And we place our trust in the hands of Almighty God. I'd like to just wish everybody a very happy Easter. We're going to be celebrating that very, very special day. Mm-hmm. What happened on that special day? And it's going to be hopefully a very good weekend and a very productive weekend. And I want to thank everybody in our country and beyond for all they've had to put up with. 184 countries as of this morning are fighting this enemy. And we pray for them all. With that, I'd like to introduce Bishop Harry Jackson from Maryland. Okay, so uh, thank you so much. Um, uh, by the way, um, when if you're listening on the radio, sometimes you'll hear me say thank you to people like Lisa Miamore uh, and the folks in there. That's because uh, they are supporting the show via Super Chat or Patreon uh, and you know becoming Patreon subscribers. And I get a little uh, notification on the screen. And I want to make sure that they get a name drop because I greatly appreciate it. Um, so I have no problem with uh, a president making an address and uh, in, a, in a time of crisis uh, asking for uh, people of all faiths to pray. Uh, that doesn't bother me in any way. I think, uh, you know, it, it is we are a secular pluralistic society and that is totally fine. Um, I, I do have a problem with the relative disingenuousness of it let's just say um but um when we come back i want to play a little bit of what uh bishop harry jackson said right after trump uh said this and and then remind you that he got all of what he had just heard wrong just an hour later at the briefing by the way speaking of the briefing they're briefing this morning at uh at 10 a.m. Pacific time. So midway through the show, he's going to start his thing. So we will take it live and I will do what I do. I will just not be swearing since we're on the radio. Uh, but we do have a, uh, a guest at the top of the hour too. We got to take a break. I'll be back right after this. It's the House Parks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for subscribing. Uh, hit the thumbs up if you're watching us online. Um, and if you're just listening at home, uh, sit back, relax, get a cup of tea. Uh, we will make it through this. We'll be back. Now let's get back to Hal Sparks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. Yeah, let's. And you know what? Um, I need to talk to Doris sometime soon. We're going to have to arrange for her to come on the show and visit, check in with her, see how she's holding up in quarantine uh, 
lovely woman, great show, uh, important voice in Chicago area politics. Um, and, and I would argue, uh, you know, sort of the emotional and psychological, uh, security of the city as well. So, uh, wherever you are, Doris right now, we love you. Um, that said, uh, old Bob is online and we want to check in with him because I, I have to say there are periods during the week where I'm like, I hope old Bob is doing well. Old Bob, are you there? Hey. There he is. It's it's your uncle Magoo. Uh, (laughs) Well, uh, I'm still surviving. That's that's all we can technically ask for. Yeah, having some adjustment problems with the uh, with the new mask routine, and I uh, 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 went out last week, used that for the first time, and uh, oh, I right. did have a nice old that's not oh. regular, so so we'll see. We how do this too. Works, works out, right? Um, however, you know. Um, in this uh, new age of social mm-hmm. distancing, um, yep. I, I find that uh, looking back over our shoulder and uh, going back to those that came before us, that uh, indeed, Mo Howard did have it right. And way back in 1935, when he told everyone to spread out. <laughs> right. That's true. Uh, uh, you know, there, there's, there's some wisdom in, um, uh, I think, W.C. Fields as well, who famously said, ooh. get out of here, kid. You bother me. And, um, I, you know, because the, I dug, I the dug kids can spread my, it. Uh, yeah, I, uh, last week. And uh, mm-hmm. it's been, I've seen it so many times, but I was laughing my little arse off. Uh, uh, it's a gift, 1934, if you've seen that one. Um, uh, was that uh, Fields? Yeah, that's that Fields. Fields or, that's, yeah, yeah. That's one, one yeah, of the classics. And if you, if you haven't seen it for a while, go back and pay good attention. It, it's just, well, it's what it is. Yeah. Well, it's also, you know, in this, in this, in these times, I recommend everybody, if you want to get down a decent YouTube hole, one of the things that's great about YouTube, uh, um, besides is their purge of, uh, um, Nazis over the last year, which has been lovely, um, is, is the fact that on there, you could find a ton of public domain stuff, including WC Fields and Three Stooges and, uh, Little Rascals and that kind of stuff. They still exist you know, posted up there. And I got to watching a compilation of W.C. Fields. I watched the diner sketch and some other stuff as I was prepping. And the you forget the sort of worldly charm of that age. You know, we think of it as kind of that those areas is almost like a Pat Boone-esque kind of hokey comedy, like Jack Benny was the prime of it. But there was some sharp biting wit during those periods. And it was largely because those folks had been through some gnarly stuff. They had just been through, if you think about the timing of when he was doing it, that, what was that? The the World War I, Spanish flu, the depression, 
all that comedy comes out of those periods, you know, and the reflection on it is, you know, is so much better. Um, if you look, you know, as we're in the middle of this, looking back on how they handled it, you get it a little better. I think, I think there's a chance to even understand the timing of the comedy, um, which I love. And I, you know, it's hard to teach people about it. Um, old Bob, you and I are probably alone in that respect. Um, well, about the, you know, that old style comedy. If, if, if we are, what finer mm -hmm. thing could you be alone in? <laughs> That's right. This is true. This is true. Laughing quietly to yourself about the subtle humor of W.C. Fields is, is a gift in and of itself. Um, I, uh, you did concern me with your angina attack, uh, concern. Are you, are you stressed oh. during this at all? Are you, are you, how are you holding well, up just, emotionally in this? Well, see, maybe it's uh, a left-handed advantage for me because, um, I really started getting mm -hmm. whacked some years ago with the diabetic complications and then the heart trouble and all of that. So I've right. generally been a homebody for some years. Right. So so when they tell me, well, you know, you're kind of, now everybody's got to stay at home as much as they can. Well, they're not telling me anything I'm not already doing pretty much. Right. Uh, so, uh, I just ratcheted my, uh, you know, indoors just a little bit more. And, you know, just, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, it's just another little challenge. You know, I went to heck. <laughs> right. Just add it to when the pile. Have, right. When, you know, when I have a, a bad attack, and I have plenty of them, mm -hmm. I have to sit there in the chair. I, I can't even talk sometimes for minutes. Mm -hmm. But when I finally come to, I can say, well, that was bad. However, I wouldn't have to yeah. go far to find somebody worse off than I am. True. Now, that True. doesn't make me feel good about their situation, but it puts mine in a little perspective. In perspective. Right. And, uh, That's great. You know, I, I can yeah. go on and be miserable <laughs> and enjoy it. <laughs> but That's uh, the spirit. Uh, I, yeah, I, I completely yeah. understand exactly what you're saying. That, that makes total sense to me. The Because um, a lot of times it isn't necessarily about like, well, people are worse off than I am. Therefore, I should feel better uh, because I could be in their position. But that it just helps you reflect on your own position and go, I shouldn't whine about this because there are people with far greater struggles than I. Um, and, mm -hmm. and as long as that's your perspective on it, it's a very healing attitude to have. So um, I, I appreciate your your perspective, um, old Bob. And, I, and you have to check in with me again next week because we're going to be in this for a little stretch. I'm going to guess oh, at least yeah. another three, four weeks. Well, I so, don't care what... I don't care what Trump is doing. I'm familiar uh -huh. with the reality flow. Yes, right. Yeah, the, you cannot uh, take anything that he says seriously at all. I mean, that's that's the that's the primary thing we all need to take away from this is that it's so much noise. If you're going to see any of these briefings and you're going to take anything seriously, maybe the words I think 
anything that Fauci says, you can kind of take as gospel. Anything else that anybody else says, you have to understand, goes through a, a filter of sycophancy or it does not get aired. And that's one of the most troubling things about this White House and our closest brush with authoritarianism that this country has had since we became a democracy. And it's, uh, it, it doesn't hurt. You know, it's a painful reminder. But as long as we get the clue, uh, we, this can be a, a valuable lesson for us as a democracy. If we don't learn it, um, this is a bad road to be going down. We got to take a break. Uh, thanks for checking in, old Bob. I'm glad you're OK. Um, next angina attack, re just remember, I'm pulling for you. Just have that thought run through your head. And, uh, and I look forward to talking to you again, brother. So uh, we'll, we'll talk hopefully next week. Call me back. Uh, we got to take a break. We'll be back right after this. Now let's get back with HealthSparks radio program, Mega Worldwide. I'd like to remind everyone, by the way, before we, in the, in the next hour, uh, Trump is uh, supposedly going to be doing his, um, his briefing. And I would like to remind everyone that while Donald Trump says, um, you know, we're doing great and this is all you could hope for and, and uh, these are the best people to be in charge and everything's going smoothly and, and everything's plateauing and it's fine, they are not counting the deaths in uh, senior centers. They are not counting the deaths that happen at home that uh, go untested. They, I, I believe, and I think this will be, this will be quite obvious to a lot of people, uh, that people who die from coronavirus at home, who die of uh, heart failure, which is essentially how it's going to kill them when they die at home, um, are not going to be autopsied and tested post-mortem to see if it was COVID-related. And if it is, those numbers will not be added to the, to the number. So this idea that somehow we're skating through this. Meanwhile, the, the number of red state counties that are spiking in their cases and, the, and there is an integration of society that happens in the South that is the pride of the South. We talk about this a lot. You know, I, I grew up in Kentucky. I have relatives in Tennessee. I have friends. Uh, one of my best friends, Rob, uh, he, he grew up in, um, in Alabama. You wave at people in, in other cars as they go by. You know your neighbors, even though they're a mile and a half away. Um, you gather together at church in groups. You, um, there is more physical gathering in small towns than there is in big cities. The isolation of the big city and the community of the of small rural towns is, in effect, the biggest descriptive difference between those two lifestyles, urban and rural. It is easier in many ways for people in an urban setting to retreat into their domicile and order Postmates and Instacart food out to their uh, their place because a corner market or a grocery store that's a mile and a half away is more available to them than if you live out in the woods. I grew up in Peaks Mill, Kentucky. One road, 46 people. When I moved out, 45. And we had a general store and a little white Christian church in every sense of the word. And that little church was where we gathered every weekend. 
And the general store was probably the second biggest regular gathering besides school that happened in town. And everyone over the course of three days came in contact with everyone else in that small town, in Peaks Mill and Owenton, which was nearby as well. These little towns, everyone in town comes in contact with either a a surface that everyone else has touched in the last three days without being cleaned, or in fact, another human being. And if someone is ill, the habit is to bring food and support to that person. And it is a lovely aspect of rural life. It is something that deserves respect in some ways that I, I just, it, in many ways, but, but in some ways it's harder for some people to grasp. Thank you, Benny Loco. I appreciate that. Um, so it's also something that I think people in an urban setting don't quite get. If you live in a city or in a suburb outside a city, retreating into your house or your apartment, if you have one, is much easier than it is in the woods uh, and in the sticks of the country. And because of that, contagion has a much easier time spreading, ironically, through rural sparse communities than it does through urban centers once the urban centers have been made aware of the contagion especially in the case where those rural areas have been listening to the president and he has been lying to them about the threat for 60 days as it ramped up and uh, and moved through the cities or moved through the country so this is an ongoing concern. Um, and uh, thank you, Tom. And I missed uh, somebody else. Hold on one second. Uh, ro- roll back through there. Thank you, Brad, so much for the uh, um, the sticker of the fist bump. Um, while we are hearing kind of a rosy picture from the White House, we have on, uh, if you pay attention to the actual news and the actual stories coming out of the not through the bottleneck of disinfo that the white house hopes it will be because make no mistake the president's daily briefing that he's doing is a way of heading off the real news because without these without his kind of odd gibberish flapping about his version of reality eating up a part of the news cycle what the default storyline for all news in the country, both cable and local, will be the death toll, what the uh, doctors, nurses, and first responders are having to deal with in terms of shortages of PPE and, and ventilators and rooms, the shock that's hitting certain uh, emergency rooms and ICUs uh, across the, the, the major urban centers that is now rolling into the rural centers, which traditionally have even fewer available beds, even fewer, you know, because if you look at New York City post 9-11 or even post the first World Trade Center bombing and uh, even preparations around, you know, that happened during the Cold War, there were preparations that the uh, that major cities that were nuclear targets during the Cold War, um, besides just telling kids to hide under their desk, that there were two or three tracks that the major important cities 
especially once uh, Google settled into Seattle and became so important, uh, Apple being around San Francisco, Los Angeles being the media capital, um, New York being the news capital, Washington, D.C. obviously being the seat of government, Chicago being the secondary trade point and the and the bridge by which a lot of the trade in this country goes through that I don't even think people are aware of how much um, the both the shipping and the 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 monetary flow through Chicago, you know, as as sort of the fallback if anything were to happen to um, Wall Street getting you know some sort of chemical, biological, or or explosive attack on them, what it would do to the economy and Chicago being that uh, that bulwark against that. That there are these cities, these areas with, in some cases, city and state budgets that are as large as some entire countries have, you know, a, a protection point. And they also have a, a sort of network amongst themselves that goes beyond even what the federal government does. Because as main targets, they, you know, the mayors of these cities, the governors of these states have these special meetings that they gather around. And what you have is, the last week, the the uh, the leader of the governor, the Republican leader of the Governors Association, effectively running a a shadow response with all the other states, as if this was a bioweapon attack. The strategies that they laid forth uh, that they were they knew they were going to be dealing with in that case, just kind of falling into that because the president has abdicated any genuine leadership in this, no matter what Mike Pence says, uh, you know, under the pretense that the president's guide to the, the president's leadership on his 15 days to uh, stop the virus and the 30 days to slow the spread and the 45 days to start back when the 20 days are over. Um, all this uh, glad handing and butt kissing that everyone has to do just to stand on Trump's stage and be part of his um, daily episode of Survivor that he puts on. Um, while that's happening, regular news and and the Governors Association, the Mayors Associations are actually just doing the hard work of of coordinating a response to this. So the we so the numbers we're hearing out of the white house are specifically meant to paint the opposite picture of that reality and one of the most stark examples that i think a lot of people saw was heart island in new york so um for those of you that don't know heart island is a small island off of uh the uh, northern tip i think of long island it um used to be privately owned. It had a hospital on it that is now abandoned. And they have, as, as New York's cases, um, this is from uh, Politico, mass burial surge as New York City set to hit 100,000 coronavirus cases. Um, the overflow of the dead, and so far as being able to, you know, that you've heard about, you know, refrigerated morgue trucks, those are for people who have relatives that can be contacted, who can make arrangements for their relative to be um, taken to uh, a either to be cremated or to have a burial service, even if they can't do it presently 
They will be able to do it over the next couple of weeks. And so that body is being preserved in that. But the many people who die without any family, without anyone knowing that they died, or simply that they're unable to contact anyone because it happened so quickly and everyone is sheltering in place and not everyone could shelter in place at home, or perhaps uh, in, in the case of uh, you know separate elder care situations, the you know uh, the husband or the wife dying alone in this, and the contact, uh, the only other person to contact is someone in a home with uh, dementia, and so there is no point of contact. This person will never know that their partner passed away. Those are being stored uh, um, in temporary mass graves, stacked too deep on Hart Island. New York, the number of burials at New York's Hart Island, a sprawling public cemetery holding the remains of unclaimed dead, has increased fivefold as the death toll from the coronavirus continues to rise in the city. With a pandemic claiming at least 5,065 lives in New York by Friday, overwhelmed mortuaries have moved unclaimed bodies, many that had been held for more than a month from people who died of other causes to the island in order to make space for coronavirus fatal, uh, casualties. Now, this is... Also, the fascinating part, and this is the part that everybody seems to forget, um, and I'm, i got to take a break. Um, when we come back, I want to address, address this, because what seems to be left out of everyone's conversation in the coronavirus death toll and the, and the aspect of coronavirus that we are dealing with is all the other reasons that people die, all the other reasons people need to be put on a ventilator or receive oxygen that they will not be able to get once those resources get tapped out. And also the people who maybe delay care because they're concerned about going to a place that's full of infectious disease and end up perishing at home. Um, that will not, for a time, be found. Um, that's another aspect of this whole thing that we will be addressing in the coming weeks as things, quote unquote, start to open up end of May, beginning of June, which is when it legit could possibly start, not whatever the president says. Um, so this, you know, as we, you know, I'm, I'm showing on the live stream right now, um, uh, the AP's pictures of the mass graves in, uh, on Hart Island. Um, you have to understand that in a big city, in any city, in any major uh, country, the numbers of births and deaths are a constant, a relative constant. Now, the population of the earth, the growth rate of it peaked in the 60s and has been going down ever since. And while we will m most likely hit 8 billion people on this planet uh, by 2023, that that growth rate has been cut in half. Even with the advances in medicine, um, and as a matter of fact, as education and um, and the the quality of life grows, um, that effectively slows uh, the population growth in you know in a in a more humane way because people don't feel the need to have to have five or six children in lieu of a you know of retirement or some you know they're. The children can make a living that will support them in in a lot of impoverished countries. You don't. You need three kids to do that, not seven, is effectively what's happened in a lot of the developing countries. Um, 
currently, Africa has the greatest population growth rate outpacing China and India, which are uh, which were second for the longest time. And things like this, though, it will be hard to see whether or not this reinforces a fear and a need for more offspring or not. So this could effectively, uh, the, the things like COVID-19 could effectively uh, raise population because of a, of, of a social response to it worldwide after the fact. That said, we have no effective numbers coming out of Africa. The, the numbers out of uh, places like India and Pakistan are highly suspect. Certainly the Chinese numbers are off. Um, so there is n no way, if you look at the numbers that are coming out of a bunch of different countries, as far as the, the, the standard way of counting the, uh, especially without testing in this country currently, there are two things we need. One is we need a, uh, uh, regular, uh, PCR test. We need to know who has the virus and is contagious. But we also need an antibody test to see who has had it since you can have it without having any symptoms. You can be asymptomatic the entire run of it, or you can have such mild symptoms that you may have had something else. I had earlier this year, I had been on a cruise ship last November. I had been on m dozens of commercial flights. I have been uh, both to China and working with people from China for the last six months. Um, and I had a gnarly cough in end of January, beginning of February. Now it was a productive cough. It was not a dry cough that is, uh, associated with this, but there was a good stretch where, you know, and, and the broad spectrum of symptoms that go with this, I could very well have been exposed to it, moved through it, passed it on and not known during that time leading up to it i could have been one of these asymptomatic carriers or this or, or quasi symptomatic made it through and passed it on and my entire family could have gone through the cycle unawares over the over the holidays for all we know if we knew we would be in a much better position uh to be aware of our own safety level and what we could do out in the world. If my parents who are older knew that they had been exposed to a low viral load early, had developed an immunity because it had moved through them either low symptom or asymptomatically, my mother had a cough uh, that she just got over that may have been related to that, we cannot know. If we had these things, we would be in a position to know that we could operate safely in the world. We could be more helpful. My mom, who is a nurse, had, she, if she'd have known that she'd gone through a version of this and was and had antibodies for it, even at her age, she could be volunteering right now, but she dare not step outside her door for fear of contracting it at her age and having it kill her. Although she has a much better chance of surviving it than my father would, for example. Um, so that... This idea that the president was going, we, uh, anybody who wants a test can have a test about a month ago uh, is both an absurdity and an insult to the fact that were we to have that, 
we would be in a much better position to roll the country back into um, functionality because that's how you do it. And the fact that the president's briefings have been all about, um, you know, no one wants, we got to open the country. We weren't meant to be closed. We're not supposed to be closed, folks. Folks, we got to keep our country open. Our country was not meant to be closed. No country was. All that. He said, he said that repeatedly this week. If he had the capacity intellectually to understand that the primary way you will be able to, quote unquote, reopen the country is twofold. One, identify people who have been asymptomatic carriers who have passed through the viral window and are now immune to it, who can operate in the world without fear. They can deliver food. They can operate in emergency rooms and they can emerge in ICUs. They can deliver things. If they're, uh, sanitation workers, they don't have to fear, uh, that disease. They just have to have normal precautions. They're not going to bring that home to their family in the same way. As long as they wash their hands and keep themselves clean, they're not going to be carriers of it, that it will expel it. And if they, and if we have a good picture of the number of people who's who've been through that uh, window, then we can fearlessly allow those people back into um, public life. And as that number grows and as we keep track of that number, we know that those people interacting, as long as they're washing their hands as well and aren't carrying something from one surface to another, uh, which is highly difficult um, in, you know, if you're you know delivering food and whatnot, if you're just keeping yourself clean, carrying that disease is is near impossible in that circumstance. Don't quote me on that. You know, defer to Fauci on that. But it is much harder. Those people can start to turn on the switches of society again. Meanwhile, you contact trace and uh, test people who may be carriers of it. Between those two separated groups, the virus has a time to die off on surfaces and in uh, contact spread. That's, that's the key to reopening society, getting it back on track. Not the economy, the society. The economy is a subset of society, not the other way around. And all he has to do in these things is come out and say, these are our primary things. We're going to get an antibody test so anybody who's immune to it can go right back to work fearlessly and not have to deal with this. Anybody who's uh, asymptomatic carrier of it, we're going to have ubiquitous testing so that everybody who thinks they've even remotely been in contact will be able to do this. we got to take a break. We'll be back uh, top of the hour. Um, it's the House Parks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. Welcome back to the Hal Sparks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide. It's now time for the happy ending. Yay! That's right. We've got a couple of callers on the line. Um, who do we have first, Devin? First, we have our friend Paul in Seattle. Oh, excellent. Hey, Paul. Hi, Hal. You know, I... How are you? Easy How are you holding up in this, first of all? You doing good? Yeah. Well, staying home. What else... It's not an interesting right. history, but it's a, yeah. Um, well, right. the interesting metric, or the, the easy metric here is, 
I, I mean, you weigh in here. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you know, I'm. My math is that we have a hundred thousand cases, over a hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and approaching somewhere around twenty thousand deaths. So that is yes. a twenty per. That's a twenty percent fatality rate. Now, if we're going mm-hmm. to get our, if we're going to get our numbers in line with Rush Limbaugh, because he's always right and say, well, this thing you saw. survival fatality. If we're going to get our numbers in line, then there must be uh, 10 times more people out there with this virus than 100,000. Right. Because if you want to lower it to 2%, you you need a million. You need a million cases. And if you want to say it's even less than 2%, you need 2 million. So that's what you were saying about testing is just this is the easy part. This is so easy. I mean, I I think really a fourth grader could figure this out. Anybody who's starting to learn percentages, you know, uh, maybe a uh, seventh grader uh, and fifth and sixth graders can start to figure this. Oh, wait a minute. This doesn't, that's not right. If it's 2%, then how can you get 20,000? 20,000 is 2% of a big number bigger than 100,000. And then the other thing is the whole perspective on what 2% means, it's just, it's in common terms people don't understand, but let me just give you an example of things you wouldn't do on a daily basis if there was a 2% fatality rate. Uh, you would mm-hmm. not, if you were just to go to work in your car, just to go to work and come home, you'd be yeah. dead by sometime in mid-February, okay? That's right. The other thing is we have um, about 10 million airline flights in this country every year, a 2% fatality rate. Uh, would be this uh, about uh, well that would be two hundred thousand crashes a year, which is about five hundred crashes a day. So would people be right. alarmed if there were five hundred airplane crashes per day in this country? Yes. So put and this it's, by the way, the world health, world health. Just real quick, the World Health Organization doesn't put it at two percent. The World Health Organization puts it at three point four percent, and that's direct fatality. That's the issue with this as well. Because let's say you had a bunch of planes. To use your analogy, that three point four percent of all flights that took off just crashed or exploded yeah. midair, just evaporated, right? But yeah. you had another fifteen percent that had really bad landings, such that people were injured permanently or they skidded right. off the runway and they and because of the 3.4 that crashed on the runway they crashed into the ocean because they ran out of fuel because the runway was taken up by crashed airplanes see what i mean like they don't even factor right. in the other ancillary deaths that would come from that number you know what i mean it's absurd you have 10 percent. that's a 10 percent airplane fail rate if you look at it that well, way yeah and i mean look at it this way i had last year I had a, a minor surgery, a, a hernia surgery, and this is, I asked the surgeon just because I was being cute. I said, you ever done this before? And he laughed. He said, mm-hmm. thousands of times. I said, he said, thousands mm-hmm. of times. I said, really, how many thousand? He said, more than 3,000 times. Now, if the next words out of his mouth were, and 60 of them died, do you think I'd have right. gone in for that? Right? You see, no. that's what people don't understand about what a 2% or, or even a 1% death rate means. They just think, oh, that's such a small amount. It isn't when you're talking about your life. That's a huge, that's a catastrophically huge percentage when you're talking about right. either medical problems or numbers of pe- people uh, dying. You know, I mean, it's, it's, 
there are just too many analogies in the medical world, including uh, people that I've known have died from cancer when the initial diagnosis is, oh, you got a 95% chance of beating us. Well, that means a 5% not, and those people are not here anymore. So yeah, there you go. And, and it's a ridic- and it's a ridiculous, you know, uh, number to gamble on. You know, to like, ah, you know, we'll just, and that, I mean, this week when he was saying things like, you know, some people were saying, you know, ride it, cowboy, just ride it out, ride it. And he constantly pats himself on the back, apparently, for thinking, well, if we did nothing, the death rate would be 2 million Americans. As if that's an option when you're the president of the United States. It, <laughs> you don't, I don't understand how he wants credit for doing nothing like oh i could have done nothing and you guys would just die i could just you know it, it is like it is literally like going i could have just started a nuclear war and hidden a bunker but i didn't you're welcome america it's it, and by the way currently right now in the united states we have 521,714 known coronavirus cases known and we're not testing anywhere near how many we're testing 100,000 people a day who, by the way, can catch it the next day and need to be retested. We have more medical personnel than that in the entire country. You should, you know, we should be testing them every day when they go to work for their own safety. When they, you know, it's absurd. We have 20,064 deaths this morning. Seven, we, uh, 783 in New York alone, just from last yeah. night, from last night to yeah. this morning. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I want to ask you, Cal, can I ask you um, two things? Well, the yeah. first thing about reopening reopening the country is, as far as, as I heard that Singapore, who was one of the best in getting this under control, they reopened because yeah. they thought they had won the war, and I think they closed down after one day. I don't know if that's that's just something I heard. I thought I it heard. was it was it was a it was a it was a three week it was sorry it was a three day rolling start. Um, they were starting to open things up again, and they started to see a spike again in in uh, contagion, not in deaths, but they immediately started seeing people catching it because they were tr- because they were tracking it. They were doing testing to right. see, like, okay, we're going to ease things up, but we're going to have a lot of testing. And as soon as they did that, they saw a spike in positive rates, and they were like, no, 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 too early, shut it back down. And they're going to, and they right. know two weeks after that opening, that window people are going to be dead. Right. Okay, I want to ask it, this question. It, it, they, yeah. Before we're out of time, uh, the story that I cannot get updates on, I heard it on Steph's show, she interviewed a congressman that said that uh, California, the West Coast states, I think with Illinois, New York, all banded together to, to buy some PPE stuff. And did yes. FEMA confiscate and impound this stuff? Can you can you expound they, on that? I, don't, I can't get any more in the story. Yes. Tell me more about it. No. The only direct story that I found was Massachusetts, that they intervened in supplies that were going to Massachusetts and effectively seized them. One of the things that the federal government is doing is getting them overseas. And these things that are supposed to ship to the states, they're basically buying them off the dock there. And so these these you know these enormous amounts of PPE and it's not just stuff that's going to the states they're not just buying it from the United States so if you have the the story is effectively that there's these enormous pallets of this stuff and they're they're going to be shipped out of these countries that make them India uh, um, China um, Indonesia Vietnam Thailand places that are making a lot of this PPE 
And they've sold them to California, for example. California made this deal to buy 200 million N95 masks, right? So what the federal government isn't doing, they're not seizing them at Long Beach, right? They're not driving down there with trucks and driving people away and doing it in, you know, in, in plain view of the American press. What they're doing is sending this, uh, you know, Operation Farting Eagle, this airplane thing, Airbridge over there and picking up that stuff when they say they're talking about, you know, from all the corners of the earth, which I was like, you mean the four corners of the earth? Oh, my God. They, they're sending them over to these these places and effectively buying them off the dock before they go to other countries, ours included. So they're not just oh. stealing them from California and New York and Illinois and Washington State who are buying their own stuff because they have the economy and the and the ability to buy this stuff. They are stealing them from Italy and Germany and Switzerland, which has a spike in cases as well. Um, you know, these companies are, you know, these countries are making deals to do this. And and our you know, the federal government through Jared Kushner is buying this stuff off the dock. Basically, it's, it's crony capital. They're tipping the dude. They're going, you know what? How much did they pay you for that? We'll double it and we're going to take it off your hands. And then they ship and they buy it. They send a third of it to the states. They, they seized ventilators that were going to Massachusetts, 500 of them. And then, sorry, 300 of them. And then they sent 100 from the stockpile of questionable quality and 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 said Massachusetts wasn't grateful enough. It's madness. But that's what that story was about. That they're not buying they're not seizing them at our docks. That's why you can't hear stories about it. They're doing it in Thailand and China. Thanks so much for calling. We're at the end of the show. See you guys in the post show. Stick around for Dick K if you're listening to WCBT. Become a Patreon uh, supporter. Patreon.com slash HowSparks. Help us out. The way you help Steph show, it's we greatly appreciate it. We'll see you guys next week or later on today when the if when and if they have a, a, a briefing. I have my doubts. We'll be back. Uh, thanks, Devin. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>